Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? This week in Germany, a lot of stuff has happened. It's been an alarming week. <laughs> Literally, Germany tested its alarm system nationwide. They sent us a text message a while back that said we're going to do this alarm test thing on the 8th of December, which was Thursday. And then they sent you another message on the day. And then at 11 a.m., everyone's phone went wow, 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 more or less. Apparently also all the radio stations and the TV stations also played this alarm and billboards that could. I'm not sure whether they used actual sirens from World War II or whatever, if they had them in some places. I like to imagine that when the radio presenters did, instead of like pushing a button, they just went, <laughs> like made it with their mouth. But it was quite funny because I was in Beta House when it happened and everyone's phones went off. And what I noted was like they had quite some communication around this but a lot of people still didn't know even though it was in the newspapers everything that actually this was going to happen and the reactions to it were different some people were like jumped out of their skin and some people were like oh is that it it's kind of cool that yeah now we have this nationwide alarm system that kind of works some phones didn't work and they're going to fix that but they first tested this alarm system in 2020 and that was a complete failure I don't remember ever getting an alarm in 2020. I lived in this country. Ergo, failure. Me too. And about the alarm that happened on Thursday, even though I knew it was going to happen, it still shocked me. And I was in the middle of a meeting, and for about 10 seconds, all of us were like, what's happening? Like, it was complete, like, stress for a short period of time. Also trying to figure out how to turn it off. You know, I had my headphones in, was listening to something, and was like, ah, what is happening here? And it was interesting because one of my friends, she didn't get it on her German number, you know, lives in Germany, works in Germany. But then one of my other friends is French and has a French number and did get it on her French phone. I wonder what the technology is behind this and how they do that. I'm not quite sure. I was reading that in 2020 when they tried it, they said specifically that people who were with the provider Deutsche Telekom it did not work at all for them. And I was like, I've been with O2 since I've been in Germany, and I also did not get it. So I don't think it was just Telecom that failed. I think also this time Telecom failed a bit, which is a bit worrying because Telecom is the actual national big provider of all the phone stuff. And then the other question that occurred when they did this alarm was, okay, so then you've been alarmed, <laughs> but... Now what? Do you just, like, panic? <laughs> like, Did anyone give us any instructions on what to do next? No, I mean, I think that Germany in general is very bad at communicating information because they're so old school and they're so slow and they don't use the right channels. There was a updated tax for the house if you owned property. Apparently there was a press statement that was put out somewhere and that's, like, the extent of, like, the comms they did around that, whereas, like, my dad mentioned it to me, and that was the only way I heard about it. And it was so badly communicated that actually they extended the deadline until I think next year because not many people had heard about it and didn't file, basically. Yeah, I feel like the communication around this is similar because there's a lack of just embracing modern means of communication, and I feel like it needs a bit more of an advertising approach. 
Absolutely. And I think there's also a complete lack of taking into consideration who your audience is. Because, for example, my grandmother, she doesn't have a phone. She doesn't listen to the radio. And I mean, fine, she watches television, but she's a demographic that's completely left out of this new... I mean, it's just a test, but she's completely left out of it. So that's in terms of like the actual alarm. But then I'm thinking about, okay, when you're doing the communication around the fact that we're going to do this alarm... They sent out a message in German, which is fine. We live in Germany. That is the primary language spoken. But you also have to take into consideration that we have people of different nationalities who live here, whether they are refugees, whether they are expats, whether they are immigrants. So really, this should have been communicated in more than one language. Turkish is the second biggest language spoken in this country. And yet, I don't know if they really did any communications around this in Turkish. Yeah, I feel like in Germany, it's just so different from how they do it in at least London, where things are in multiple languages. Also, digitally, you can just flip between lots of different languages. And yeah, when the government is trying to communicate, it really needs to be like that. It's just such an old school way of doing this. However, once you do some digging, you actually do find quite a lot of information about what this alarm was for, who ran it. Okay, but then they've just been really bad at showing that to the general public. Well, you have to be interested and you have to Google it. Which makes sense, I guess, if you're really interested. But shouldn't this be common information that is shared easily and accessible? Like, we all should be knowing all the information that we need for this alarm and what it means. Yeah, so I agree. As part of our public service, I can share. Amazing. But here you go. Apparently, this test was run by the Federal Office of Civil Protection and Disaster Assistance. It's called the BBK. It was established in 2004 as a central organizational unit for civil security. And it's part of the new strategy for civil protection in Germany, which was adopted in 2002. So the BBK is basically there to advise everyone on emergency preparedness and self-help which sounds a bit like self-help books, but it's not about psychological self-help. How to get a perfect man. (laughs) I say Germany's also falling short on the mental health, so you know. But they actually also have an app, which not advertised at all. I bet nobody has it. But it's called Nina. Yes, I have heard about this, but only in the context of researching this episode. It stands for Notfall Informations und Nachrichten app. So it's the emergency information and warning app of the BBK. And it warns users of emergencies and hazards all over Germany, like severe weather, floods, blah, blah, blah. The Nina app has existed since 2015. Ridiculous. I have never heard of this app and I am German. Yeah. So online, and we'll link to this in our newsletter so everyone can read this amazing document, there's a 68-page document for how to be prepared for disasters. So, Rina, I have a little quiz for you. Amazing. I'm going to fail. I mean, I fail totally on all of this. So, Rina, what do you think that the government suggests you should have in your house at all times? For example, food and drink. I'm going to assume that they suggest that you have a certain amount of clean water, bottled water. Mm-hmm. How I much? Oh, a week's worth, maybe? They advise a supply of food and drink to last you 10 days. That's their standard advice that everyone should have. They point out that drinking is more important than eating. 
So they say keep approximately 14 litres of liquid per person in stock for each week. Right. That's quite a lot. Who has the space? Well, I actually pointed this out to a friend of mine. I was like, I don't have the space to like, I also don't buy bottles of water because it's bad for the environment. And he was like, just in that case, you just fill up your bathtub and you're done. So uh, what they suggest in terms of food is that your edibles should be able to be stored for long periods of time without refrigeration. So canned food. Yes. And they should be able to be eaten cold, this kind of food. Here's a complete side note. I actually prefer a lot of food cold, so I think I would really thrive in this environment. <laughs> Don't forget food for your pet. Otherwise, they will eat you. That's what it says in the doc. No, not really. Um, I don't think that's everyone's chief concern. I think people mostly would be worried about their pet dying, but yeah. Or you could eat your pet if it died. Okay. Anyway. But you can't prepare the meat. You don't have any fire. You need to eat it raw. And I think that's a health hazard. I mean, as long as it's fresh meat, I think it's fine. We're two vegetarians talking about meat. <laughs> you also have to like make sure you have any medicines that you need. Okay, question about that. How do I stockpile my medication? Because the prescription I get from my doctor does not allow me to stockpile my medication. You need to ask your doctor about that. I will bring need- the booklet next time and be like, listen, according to B.B. King, I need to have more medication. I've renamed Did the B- say- Yeah, yeah, I've renamed the B.B.K. B.B. King because I feel like it just has a better ring to it. Now it has a mascot. It feels more fun. doesn't feel so stuffy in old school German. You know, B.B. King. Anyway, so we have to stockpile medication, which you can't do because Germany has very, very strict medication laws. Great. Already loving this booklet. I think for diabetes and stuff is a bit... But there's other medication that you can be dependent on. Like, I would have really terrible withdrawal symptoms if I got off my medication, which could have long-lasting hazardous health effects. Oh, you need to talk to your doctor about yeah. this for <laughs> Another thing that they generally advise you to do is to have important documents ready to hand and this is what one of our friends who helped refugees from Ukraine said she really learned she said that everyone should just scan all their really important documents like their degree certificates their passports their Mm -hmm. credit card their bank details everything yeah for context there she was helping students who had fled from Ukraine but who weren't Ukrainians they were from Africa and They had to leave in the middle of the night and they had to leave behind all of their documents. And so now they're essentially fucked because they don't have any copy of their documents and they're all still in Ukraine. Yeah. So in the original, you should have your birth, marriage, death certificates or family register. Why do you need your death certificate? Like I assume of a family member, not of yourself. Why do you need that? If they're dead, they're dead. Sorry, not to be crass or insensitive, but like, why do you need to carry around their death certificate? Well, I guess like, say, for example, if you're married and somebody died and you need to get married again in the future, you need to have their death certificate. Right. I love the forethought of we're going to like the world's going to end in case we survive this apocalypse and you might want to get remarried. That's the only example I can We can cut that. I have no idea. No, no, I think that's very funny. More clarification we need from B.B. King. Yeah, copy your ID, your passport, driving license, vehicle documents, land register excerpts, also any wills, contracts, education certificates, savings books, account agreements, shares, insurance policies, all that stuff. They also recommend that everyone should have an emergency pack. Great. This is in case something happens and everyone has to get out of the house. 
there's an evacuation. Actually, this happens quite often in Berlin because we find bombs quite a lot that are unexploded from World War II. And then people need to leave their house while the bombs get um, sort of removed. But there could also be a leak in a gas pipe, a fire in the house next door, etc. So, Rena, how would you prepare your emergency rucksack? What items would you put in there? I assume you don't have one. I don't have one. Also, this goes completely in the opposite direction of Marie Kondo advice, which is, she says, you should come home with your, you know, your bag that you use all the time, and then you should empty it out and put everything away in its place. So a load of stuff is not just sitting in your bag, and then your bag has to be in a certain place too. And I actually do that. I don't have bags of stuff. Even my rucksack, I empty it out. So Marie Kondo is not ready for the apocalypse. Okay, so what would you put in your emergency pack that you're going to have to go home and prepare straight away? Right, okay. So what am I putting in my emergency pack? I mean, I guess all of my documents now, right? My passport, my infpass, my credit cards. I don't have a credit card. My debit card, I guess, in that case. My anmeldung, obviously, was so hard to get. All of my documents pertaining to my apartment. All of my medical documents in particular, so that in the future I can get access to my medication again. I mean, do I have to put water and food in this backpack, or is that a separate thing? You've got one emergency pack. You need right. To okay, so all of the documents I mentioned above. I'm probably going to put an umbrella in there in case, I don't know, hat, scarves, you know, that sort of thing. I'll probably put like my thermal underwear in there too, just in case it's in the middle of the winter. Um, sometimes I have those like emergency blankets that you like, you know, put over car crash victims and stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of those emergency blankets. Mm -hmm. My winter jacket is hanging by the door. I can grab that on the way out. I guess some food and water. I have one of those great backpacks that you can extend so I can really pack mm -hmm. a lot of shit in there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't think of anything else. I don't have any pets. I don't have any children. Maybe a charger of some sort, like for my phone so I can reach people. You know, I don't know if, if like the phone networks still work. I also have like a piece of paper in my wallet where I have like my next of kin listed. I mean, I guess that's in my wallet and I'm bringing my wallet. So that. How did I do? Not bad. You missed food for two days in dustproof packaging. Okay, cool. Can I get that at Etika? No idea. I guess dustproof packaging is just plastic, right? A plastic bag. Oh, yeah. Water bottle, cutlery, and crockery. Wait, 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 wait. Crockery? Yes. A torch, sleeping bag, or blanket. You got blanket. Very good. You missed torch. Camera or camera phone, you got. Clothing and hygiene products for a couple of days. Fine. You got that. Battery-powered radio and spare batteries. Ah, yes, of course. I have that, obviously. Who has that? First aid <laughs> materials, personal medication. You kind of got that. Waterproof shoes or Wellingtons and waterproof clothing. You kind of got that. My umbrella. <laughs> in, the, in the event from radioactive or chemical substances, use a dust mask or damp cloth to hold in front of your mouth. I mean, to be fair, in the age of corona, I always have at least five masks on me at all times. So Top advice. You heard it here first, everyone. Now panic and pack your bag. Please don't panic. Or panic. No, I was going to say, take the advice of... Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic. In his book, 
all you needed was a towel. Because he said that if you're hitchhiking through the galaxy, a towel is like a symbol of cleanliness. And so people would be like, ah, that is a hygienic individual. I will pick up that person. So, you know, you could also go the Douglas Adam route and just have a towel with you at all times. I bet the German government does not approve of that. Maybe. Should we try another one? What would you do in the instance of a CBRN incident? What in the world is that? I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) C stands for chemical, B, biological, R, radiological, and N, nuclear, hazardous substances. So it's in the event of CBRN hazardous substances, which can be released in vaporous form, like aerosols or liquids or solids. So safe. Can I be completely honest? I don't really want to live, should that be the case. I just don't think that I would thrive in a post-apocalyptic environment because I have no survival skills. I can't do anything. Okay, Rena, you're thinking about this all wrong. Oh, right. The thing is, we've been trained through all of our, like, apocalypse films and stuff to just be like, there's one big event, there's one big comet, and then everyone's wiped out. What we know from Corona is, actually, that's not true. It's still an emergency situation. It's just that you have to adapt your behavior and it's kind of small, quiet scale stuff. It's not like the entire world is covered in a hazardous nuclear biological weapons fog. It could just be Prince Lauerberg. Unlikely. Probably more more likely that's going to happen in Friedrichshain and Neukon, but... Interesting. Okay, fine. Okay, so say you're indoors. What do you do? Close all windows and doors. Very good. I would stuff, also put cloth underneath the front door and stuff like that, and Very around good. the windows. Yes, and you turn off all fans or air conditioning systems, and basically seek out a protected internal room in your apartment, mm-hmm. which has no outside windows, and you stay indoors. Great. If it's a radioactive substance, yeah, the cellar is the best place. Huh. It also says, avoid unnecessary consumption of oxygen by candles or similar. Right. It's a very interesting way of phrasing it. What do you do with your pets? Are they unnecessary consumption of oxygen? We keep going back to eat your pets. Sorry. (laughs) Just thinking. Okay, say if you're outside, what do you do? Oh boy, if I'm outside, I mean, am I able to run to the nearest store or the nearest cab or a car or Mm -hmm. an enclosed area? Is that what I do? Yeah, that could be a good escape route. Yes. One of the things is follow instructions for sheltering in buildings. For sure. Another thing is, which is quite interesting, move across the direction of the wind, if possible. Breathe through a respiratory protection device, if possible. At least through a handkerchief. Who carries a handkerchief around with them? But everyone has a mask because of corona. That's true. But you're right. Seek out the nearest closed building. If you've already come into contact with a hazardous substance, you have to change your outer clothing and shoes. You have to wash your hair, your hands, your face, everything, your nose, ears with soap and water. Hmm. And pack any outer clothing and stuff in uh, plastic bags and place those outside living areas um, as far away as possible from buildings. So get naked, throw your clothes out the window, have a shower. (laughs) So those are the type of things that the alarm is for like cyclones things like that although i don't know how they're gonna communicate these 68 pages of information to everyone i think the basic idea is in the case of a big disaster like this and there have been a few there have been floods in germany and cyclones and things like that the emergency services just cannot deal with it and then therefore everyone needs to be prepared and able to help themselves and then other people 
So everyone should read this document. What it doesn't also tell us in this document is how to deal with a military coup, which <laughs> kind of happened in Germany this week. Well, it didn't happen. It was an attempted military coup. A failed attempted military coup. Yes. Which is really shocking. I don't know. I found it really shocking. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I don't know if I found it. Yeah, I think I found, well, on one hand, I found it really embarrassing. Not because the coup failed or because like that was embarrassing, but just because of the people involved. You know, it was like old elitist people, QAnon people, COVID deniers. I'm like, oh God, these people are so embarrassing. I mean, that's obviously not the only emotion I felt or the only thing that's important, but I felt a lot of shame. You felt shame. Yeah, I was embarrassed that these people live in my country and I was embarrassed that these people think like this. Like I was embarrassed on their behalf. I was quite shocked at the number of people who are in positions of power, yeah. who were quite established, educated. There were lawyers, there were... Actually, should we go through some yeah. of the people? There was a judge. Yeah. She's been removed, thankfully. Before we go through the people, it might be a good thing to just say what the aim of this military coup was. The aim was to establish a monarchic government similar to the German Empire of 1871 and 1918. <laughs> it's so... Oh my god. What is wrong with these people? Before we get into the people, it's kind of important to know because there are some former people from the royal family involved. But also what's interesting and what we talked about actually previously exactly one year ago on this podcast. It's episode 82. It's called... QAnon, Reichsburger, and Weird Americans in Manila. That's the episode. And we actually talk about these people, how QAnon was getting really big and popular in Germany, and how the Reichsburger was this group of people who basically believe that since Germany lost World War II, it has been controlled by the Allies, and it's not really a democratic free nation, and it needs to be set free in some way. Am I right, as mm -hmm. a summary? Yeah. Right. You should listen to that episode, though, because we do talk about the, the Reichsberg and what they believe. And this movement definitely contained a lot of those people, and like you said, QAnon people... COVID deniers. I think the very first question that we need to answer, because, you know, they were saying uh, they want to go back to like, what was it, 1871? One. Germany has not had a royal family or a monarch since the end of World War I, when Kaiser Wilhelm II abdicated the German and the Prussian throne. So he didn't like, there was no agreement made on who would be his successor. So Germany just sort of became a de facto republic on November 9th, 1918. The Republic became legally recognized in February 1919 when the position of President of Germany was created and when the Weimar Constitution entered into force on August 14, 1919, the legal privileges and titles of German nobility was abolished. And also the first president of Germany was Friedrich Ebert, followed by Paul von Hindenburg in 1925. Hindenburg should be a name to everyone because he's the idiot who we have to thank the fact that Hitler was given any power, so thanks Hindenburg. Moving back in time. The modern-day country that we know as Germany never really had a monarch in the way that we think. So Germany is made out of a bunch of states, mm -hmm. and the old German Empire was typically ruled by different royal houses. The German Empire began with the unification of Germany in 1871. So this is why they want to go back to 1871, because that is when Germany, sort of as we know it, 
started to exist. So it became a nation, basically. Essentially. Mm. So that's why they're so hyper-focused on this Mm -hmm. time. So the unification brought together the North German Confederation, which was headed and controlled by the King of Prussia. And then in the South, there were a bunch of different kingdoms. So there was the Kingdom of Bavaria, the Kingdom of Württemberg, the Great Duchy of Baden, Baden, and the Great Duchy of Hessen. The first German Empire was Wilhelm I, the grandfather of Wilhelm II, Both Wilhelms were from the House of Hohenzollern, which had become the royal house of Prussia after its elevation to a kingdom within the Holy Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So since Prussia was the de facto leader of the North German Confederation, it became the leading state in the German Empire and its king. And so Kaiser Wilhelm I became the emperor in 1871. So we don't really have a German royalty, but we do have the House Hohenzollern, who also are related to the Windsors. In the context of this putsch, yes. or coup in German, it's putsch, the head of this putsch, his name is Heinrich VIII, and he calls himself Prince of Rus. So it's actually the other way around. His legal given name is Heinrich Prinz Reuss, because Prince just became part of his name. Prince Heinrich VIII is a title he's given himself. That's not his actual name. Oh, that's interesting. So he was born in 1951, and what I found fascinating and hilarious is that Heinrich was one of six children of Heinrich I and Wojtyla Feodora, the prince and princess Rus. Okay, and his four brothers were also all called Heinrich, like every other male heir in the family. So the father's called Heinrich. Then all of these kids are all called Heinrich. Anyway, no wonder he turned up messed up and started believing in all this like Reichsberger rubbish, right? (laughs) He's searching for something, maybe an identity. (laughs) So he was going to be the new head of our country, I guess, if this, if they pulled this off, which they didn't, thank God. Look at his face. Look at it. Doesn't he look so punchable? Yes. He looks pretentious, horrible and punchable. What's really funny about him, he lives in Frankfurt, he has this hunting lodge which the police raided, he has a really nice car with personalised number plates, everything. He's super, super, super rich, right? But he's always complained about how his blue blood family was pressured to abdicate as the German Empire was overthrown in the years following World War One, and he says that he and his family and all his inheritance were dispossessed. Like, this is a man of so much resources and riches still, but he's got such a resentment for still not, basically not being able to rule the country just because he's from this family. I don't know. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Shut up, Heinrich. You're such a... It's silly, yes. So he's one of the main guys. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really great article in DW called Are There Any Royals Left in Germany that really explains this business with all of the titles. We'll link it in our show notes. They say... For example, take, for instance, Albert, Prince of Tonon, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. He used to be the former prince house. So his full title used to be His Highness the Twelfth Prince of Tonon, Texas, Prince of Bachau, and Prince of... Oh my god, this is... I'm sorry, Poland. This is a Polish name. Krotzosin, Duke of Wörth und Donau, Stauf, Count of Friedscher, Count of Valle, Sasnia, Machal, Neresheim. What the hell is even this name? I'm German and I can't pronounce all this stuff. Anyway, but due to this, the Weimar Constitution, which I mentioned before, 
it was determined that all heredity titles should be abolished, allowing members of the former nobility to keep only a trace of their surname. Therefore, to be exact, since his family name is Prince von Tuonontaxis, you shouldn't be translating the word prince. So in English, for example, he should be called Albert Prince of Tuonontaxis. So prince is not a title anymore. It's part of his name. Uh. So when Heinrich goes around calling himself Heinrich VIII or whatever he is, that's him. That is not his official title. So all of these like American news agencies that use that title, that's wrong. And you're playing into his game. Refer to him by his correct name. He's not noble and he's not Heinrich VIII or whatever it is. Okay, Washington Post, you've just been fact-checked. Because they know that people are weirdly interested in royals for whatever reason. So they know that if they have Henry VIII in their name, People are going to click on it because they're curious about it. But the it. eighth is valid, right? No, that's not. That's not his name is Heinrich Prince von was immer oh. Royce. The eighth is that's yes, he's the eighth one in his family lineage with the name Heinrich, but he's not Heinrich the eighth. That's mm. him. He's decided that for himself. Anyway, he sucks. He should be in prison just for being offensive. Okay, so other people who were in this group, I think 25 people have been arrested so far. There are 54 other suspects. I mean, it goes quite far, right? Um, include several former members of the Special Forces Command, which is quite worrying, including former Staff Sergeant of the Paratrooper Battalion of the Bundeswehr. That's quite worrying. Jesus. Rudiger von Pescatore, that's his name, he was supposed to lead the military arm of the group. They thought they would just take over and they had this feeling that the armed forces and the military would be totally on board with this, which is also a bit of a worrying thought, but let's see. I mean, we have seen from the NSU Akte and from recent revealings that the Bundeswehr and the police have a neo-Nazi problem. Yeah, exactly. And I think they instinctively sort of knew that. So von Pescatore did try to recruit police officers and soldiers because I guess, yeah, there is some affinity with this kind of stuff in, in those institutions. Also, it included, like you said, former criminal police officer Mikhail Flisch from Hanover, a former Oberst, uh, Peter Warner from Bayruf, who started a business for survival training. Mm -hmm. A lawyer called Tim Paul Gorgas from Hanover. And a surgeon called Melanie Ritter from Lower Saxony. There's a lawyer and a judge in the state of Berlin called Malzak Winkermann, who is said to have been designated as the future Minister of Justice. She was a member of the German Bundestag from 2017 to 2021 for the AFD. And she was also arrested on the 7th of December. And also at least one AFD politician, Christian Wendler, and a AFD former Stadtrat, uh, which is a councillor from Oberhau in Saxon or Mountains. And they also had a lot of money and they had bought weapons and satellite phones. The German police had been, I think they'd been planning this for about a year. The German police started investigating the group in spring 2022. And the investigation kind of started in an interesting way. In April 2022, they learned about this group or this thing when they arrested members of United Patriots, who were said to have planned to abduct Karl Leuterbach, who was the federal minister of health in Germany. And that's how this investigation sort of started in September 2022. They were monitoring at least 52 suspects. I have a question. Why Lauterbach? 
Why the health minister? Well, I reckon it's because of COVID. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. I was like, what? why health? I mean, health obviously is super important, but I was just thinking, I was like, surely you would go for, like, military or economics or, I don't know, the chancellor or the president or something. But I guess in the context of COVID, yeah, it makes sense. Because a lot of them are COVID deniers, so. Yeah, but does it make sense? It's a weird thing also just to kidnap this one minister. Maybe they thought he was the least protected. He was the easiest to get to. But one that was still kind of important because we're in COVID. So they were like, he won't be that protected, but, you know, he's still important. Yeah, I mean, if you can get inside that logic. <laughs> I'm listening. It seems like a weird choice to me. It does, Yeah, it's because also a weird choice. What are you going to do once you've got the health minister? Ah, maybe you want to get everyone to admit that COVID is made up and then you can do your... I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. I was just reading about the head of the current Royce family, you know, of this Heinrich guy. Mm. And Prince Heinrich the Fourteenth, even though that's not what he should be called or whatever, he referred to him as a distant relative and a confused man peddling in conspiracy theories. But can I just say, yeah, he said that, but also they're all the same. Yeah, true. All royals are off their rocker and they all think that they have like this God-given right to rule the world. Like, it's ridiculous. Anyway, so back to my original question, which was, so what do we do in case there is a putsch or a coup? I tried to Google it. Mm -hmm. Advice for dealing with a coup and then it automatically Google finishes your search to like best advice for couples which is not what I wanted. Um, <laughs> I was like, what? And then in my brain yeah, caught up. C-O-U-P, and then it just goes to couples. But anyway, there was actually a putsch about 100 years ago on the 13th of March, 1920 in Berlin. Mm-hmm. It's called the Kapp Putsch, named after the leader, Wolfgang Kapp. And its goal was to undo the German Revolution of 1918 and overthrow the Weimar Republic and establish an autocratic government in its place. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't work. And it didn't work because the people just went on strike. They just refused to work for this government at all. Everyone (laughs) was just like, no, we're just not taking orders from you. We're just not playing this game. There's this sort of story, and obviously I don't know if that's true, of Cap walking around the Bundestag just trying to like get a secretary to even type up his agenda and stuff and he can do it. I don't know if that's true though. But that's one way to deal with this emergency situation. Top advice. What I found also really fascinating is when you look at the pictures from this putsch in 1920, which was before the Munich putsch, which is the one that Hitler tried in 1923, I want to say. The Beer putsch mm-hmm. of 1923, yeah. They... All painted when they did this coup and took over swastikas onto their helmets at that time. So the swastika actually predates the Nazis as a sort of nationalist symbol. Wow, so the Nazis couldn't even come up with an original symbol to appropriate. They stole it from somewhere else. They stole it they from stole somewhere else. They stole the appropriation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Exactly. Sort of interesting of these big white swastikas on helmets, um, which were supposed to be good luck, basically. In addition to that, I did actually find out some top tips on Mm -hmm. how to stop a coup. Oh, how to stop or how to survive? How to stop. Ah, 
Yeah, so one thing is it's actually really important to call it a coup, which is a illegal sort of terrorist overtaking and violation of democratic norms. All of these other terms that we hear, like if the government starts saying stuff about stop counting the votes or like, I don't know, voter suppression and election tampering, all of this sort of stuff mm-hmm. comes into it. We forget that we're kind of in this coup situation. And typically, power grabs are organized in secret and launched suddenly. So most campaigns that defeat coups do it in days. So it's good to like take to the streets with people you know, to gather all the people you know, and start like not complying with the coup and demonstrating against it ASAP. Okay. So along with our emergency backpacks, we should also have... Friends, friends who want to go out onto the streets with you in the case of a coup. Yes. And we should also have cardboard and pens ready to make signs. Yes, because right. coup is, a coup is not the time to like watch and wait until somebody else figures out, basically. You just need to be part of choosing democracy. It's a situation where, like, yeah, the official channels probably can't deal with it unless every single person is also prepared. Okay. <laughs> this is a funny conversation to be having. So mass resistance to coup wins by using walkouts and strikes, refusing orders and shutting down civil society, basically. Great. Well, we all know how well it went keeping everyone in their houses for corona. So I am just completely, you know, have such confidence that we can manage this too. (laughs) Now everyone knows what to do in case there's a coup. There's a biohazard, radio, alarm, natural disaster. Pack your backpack right now, folks. As soon as you stop listening, pack that backpack. You need to have 14 liters of water in your house and non-perishable, so get cracking. 14 liters per person. Per person, ah yes. So, on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. I would say thing one is not to raise panic or anything, but I do think it's genuinely good advice to scan all of your documents, degrees, your license, put it on a drive somewhere where you can access it from anywhere in the world. It's super important. We should all do this right now. Thing two, read the German government's guide to being prepared in an emergency situation, which we will link to in our newsletter. And if you have not subscribed to our newsletter yet, go to misinformed dot substack dot com thing three i know that we probably say this in every single episode but it's important more now than ever to get involved in politics because look at how the QAnon and conspiracy theories and the ifd are gaining in traction and are infiltrating our democracies and they're going to try this again and again and again so become active become political Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 Euro a month. Visit patreon.com misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.